this morning as we go to the Word of God together. I want to, first of all, thank Prosper Torku for sharing the Word of God last week. Thank you so much, brother. And uh, did a great job teaching about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, won't put you on the spot, anybody, but what was the main point <laughs> of that parable? Each of these parables has something specific, something particular that it wants to share. And so that, don't put you on the spot, the point was this, that each of us needs to come before God in humility. The only way to approach God at all is by His grace and our humility. That's the combination. He offers grace, we respond in humility, and then things happen. Things change. The only way to approach Almighty God is with humility. Now we're in a series, it's called Tell Me a Story, Jesus. And it's been real interesting to see how many people want to hear those stories. How many people say that, you know, that story really speaks to me, even though it's 2,000 years old and it's in a culture and a setting that seems maybe foreign to me. There's still something here to grasp out of each one of these. And we're looking at all these stories of Jesus, these parables that tell us something important about life. And this morning's parable, Jesus didn't start off thinking, I'm going to tell this story. Something else happened. Something prompted him. Something came along and and, uh, somebody spoke to him. And out of that conversation, he told this story. Basically, what was happening, two brothers were arguing. Uh, you ever know any brothers that argue? Yeah. I've got an older brother. We fought like cats and dogs all the way through. Now we love each other. Now we get along great and everything. I don't remember an argument we've had for the last 40 years. But the first 10 or 12, yeah. And they were arguing about their inheritance. They were really upset with each other because it was time to divide things out. One felt like he wasn't being uh, given a fair amount or whatever. Maybe the other one thought the other was being kind of dishonest, you know, and, and, and maybe a little bit you know, uh, greedy about things. And so he came to Jesus, one of them, and he says, "Uh, Lord, you know, I want you to settle this. I want you to settle this dispute. And Jesus refused. Jesus said, that's not why I'm here. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to get in the middle of the argument. I'm not going to become your judge, your arbiter. I'm not going to make things right here between you. It is not my place. But there is something I want to say. And so then he told the story. There was this greater thing that Jesus wanted not only those brothers to hear, but he wanted all of us to hear. Something about life is in this story. Something we need to hear, especially today in 2015 America. There is a greater issue than about the inheritance. And it's the issue of greed. An issue about selfishness. And he told this parable that all of us we'll learn that we must guard against every type of greed, any face you put on that, any kind of greed, any expression of greed, guard against that because that shows where your heart is and your heart must not be there. Life does not consist in the amassing of a bunch of possessions. Jesus says it, point out. In fact, this is one of the few parables where before he tells the parable, he says, this is what it's about. This is what I'm going to tell you. And then he tells the story. Most of the time he tells the story... And you've got to kind of figure it out on your own. Richard Goebel called this parable the parable of the man with six eyes. Now, 
That got my attention. Six eyes on one person, that'd be interesting. But he was using capital I apostrophe S, not E-Y-E-S. And he said this man had six eyes because six times he talked about himself. Six times he proclaimed his selfishness. Six times he said to, to everyone there and this man that's in the story, this is what I want, this is what I see, this is what I need. So we're going to read this together from Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 13. I want you to see if you can find the six eyes that are in this story this morning as we read together. First, the occasion, the dispute between the brothers, and then the story. Chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. You have plenty of, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. So take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Did you catch the six eyes in the parable? Maybe. Here they are. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I will store my surplus grain for my own enjoyment. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty now. Eat, drink, and be merry. Take life easy. John Beeler pointed out that the man who approached Jesus didn't want what was fair. He didn't want what was right. He was greedy. Jesus saw this in the man, and he answered with a story. And we may think that this story is about rich people, but it's not. We may think it's about people like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or maybe somebody that won Powerball or the lottery. But now he's talking potentially about all of us, whatever economic standing, at least any of us who may become selfish or greedy about wealth and possessions. The rich man says, my crops, my barns, my grain. So everything in his perspective is about him, and nothing is about God or anyone else. The words I and my are used ten times in this little story by the rich man himself. So God came to the man and he called him a fool. Now they get my attention. If God came to me and said, you are a fool, I would think I was a fool because God knows. And he knows the difference between somebody that's being wise and somebody that's being foolish. And when he calls somebody a fool, he nails the man and he says, you know, this very night, your life is going to be demanded of you. And you haven't prepared anything for the next life. You have not thought a, a bit about that. You've only thought about today. You've only thought about your physical material circumstances. And what good will all your possessions do you after tonight? Could greed or selfishness ever be a problem for us? 
Anybody in here ever been greedy? Come on, you could admit it. Remember when you were a kid? It's time to divide a candy bar between two of you. Your mom says, I'm going to cut this in half. And then you analyzed it, which is the greater half. Come on, folks, it's half. You know? We do this with grandkids. You make a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm going to split it in half. And they're analyzing which one is the bigger half, you know, because I might get this infinitesimal amount more than my brother or my sister. You know, it's ridiculous where we go to with this. But hasn't this been something we've carried into adulthood? Have you ever felt uh, that you were envious of somebody when they had more than you? Drive down the street and they got a nicer car than you. You go down a certain neighborhood, you know, to visit somebody say, man, I wish I could live in a place like this. Kind of looking around. You ever found yourself striving to get more and more? You know, that's, that's what credit is all about, isn't it? You extend yourself, you're paying for it in time for something that you can't really afford now. So much of that is going on. You know, and there's so many uh, financial foolish decisions are happening because of greed. Have we ever ignored the needs of someone else? It's obvious. God put it right in front of us. Have we ever ignored those? Because we knew if we did something, it was going to lessen our position. It's going to make us have less for ourselves. These are all instances of greed in our lives, of selfishness, of thinking, you know, I've got to watch out for me because nobody else is going to. The rich fool Jesus told about had two major problems that brought about God's rebuke. First of all, he didn't think about anyone but himself. He's not considering anyone else around his neighborhood. He's not thinking about you know what their needs may be. He's being blessed financially. He's being blessed materially. But his only thought is about, man, I'm fortunate. Isn't this great? I got more now. What am I going to do with more? Well, I guess I'll store it up so I can stop working. So I can just live on what I've made up to this point. He's only thinking of himself. That's his big problem here. But there's a second big problem in his life, and that is that he's not thinking about God. He's not thinking about eternity. He's only thinking about what is before him today, or what he could envision the next week or month or year of his life. But he doesn't have God in the equation at all. He's totally secularized. And he's too earthly-minded to be of any heavenly good. Well, in choosing to live the way he lived, the rich fool was breaking both of the great commandments that Jesus gave us. Do you remember? Jesus was asked one day, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, I'll give you a bonus. There's a second one like it. And what was the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two commandments, you know, hinge all of the law and the prophets. If you know these two, if you live these two, you'll get the rest. It'll be okay. Don't have to worry about even the Ten Commandments. You don't have to worry about the 613 things that the Jews put on everybody through the rabbis. None of all of that stuff matters if you know these two. If you will love God and you will love your neighbors yourself, you'll get it right. You'll be okay. That's how to live. Do you see how this rich fool had failed to follow either of these commandments? Because his greed caused him to break that second commandment, to love his neighbors himself. He wasn't seeing any neighbors. You know, he's getting all these crops and he's building bigger barns for himself. He's thinking about how to live it up and he's not thinking about the guy next door that maybe didn't have the crop he did. 
He's not thinking about the orphan or the widow or the stranger and alien living among them. He's not thinking about the poor, which Jesus said we will always have with us. He's only seeing himself. So second commandment is out. First commandment is out too, isn't it? Because he doesn't consider God. He doesn't consider love for God to be of any value. He loves himself. And he doesn't consider eternity of any, any concern. Because he's living for the moment. He's living for today. He's living for the amount of life he can envision at this moment in his life. Bill Sullivan said, you know, there's an illness going around. It's not the bird flu. It's not the regular flu, which many of you get flu shots for. It's not one of the more notable illnesses like AIDS or HPV. Everyone has seen it. Everyone has seen its devastating effects. Some have experienced it themselves. Some of us here are plagued with this illness, perhaps just a mild case, but infected nonetheless. The scary thing, he says, is how contagious this disease is. How susceptible all of us are to this illness. Any of us can get this illness. And if we let our guard down and don't take the prescribed prevention steps, it's likely we'll be infected, though we've heard many warnings about this illness and how it can affect us. We tend to think, no, not me. <laughs> not me. I won't get this. I won't be affected. Do you know what he's talking about? Yeah, we do. It's greed. And it's, it's rampant. It's an epidemic. And it is a plague upon our nation and upon many other people throughout the world, this thing called greed. It could also be called selfishness. It's self-centeredness. It's thinking, how can I take care of me? How can I make sure I get my fair shake and even then some, if I can. Have you seen greed up close and personal? Probably. Have you seen it in someone else? You know, it's much easier to see it in somebody else, isn't it? Man, you're so greedy. <laughs> and we miss just blindness to our own greed, our own self-centeredness. I heard about three men who perished in the summer heat of Death Valley. Deputies found their bodies scattered across the desert, each of them next to the road that they had been traveling. Their bodies were found 7 miles, 14 miles, and 17 miles from their abandoned car. In leaving their car to seek help, the three had tragically headed in the wrong direction, going toward a ranch house that they had passed 30 miles earlier. But little did they know if they had just walked the other direction, just a mile further from their abandoned car, there was a grove of trees and a spring of water. And these men are a parable in themselves, are they not? Because they didn't know. They didn't pursue what they could have. And because of that blindness, they went after what they thought was good, but in the opposite direction of what was truly good. I heard about a gambling addict who bet on 12 football games over one weekend and lost on all games. The next weekend, he bet on 12 more football games and lost again. So the following week, he calls his bookie, who told him that there are no football games this coming weekend. Why don't you bet on hockey? There's some really good games. And the man responded, he says, Hockey? What the blazes do I know about hockey? <laughs> you don't know much about football either. Why not, you know? Go ahead and be foolish there, too. How many of you ever pl played the game called Monopoly? Do you like it? Uh, it's kind of boring. 
maybe it goes on too long. They've kind of treat, tried to speed it up. Look down here. It says the fast dealing property trading game. There's another slide I have here where it says we got new dice that so make speed up the game. So uh, I don't know what that is. How does dice speed up the game? But we know the game of Monopoly. Do you know who invented this challenging game? It was not Charles Doe who eventually uh, got the patent for it. It was not the Parker Brothers who made millions selling it, still do. The game was first created by a single woman in Washington, D.C. named Lizzie Maggie. You read about it today if you open up the Washington Post and the Post Magazine. It tells a story of how uh, about the turn of the century, 1900 to 1903, she's developing this game. She's spent her free time in the evening trying to do it. And she wasn't doing it just to make a game. She was doing it to make a point. She was doing it to teach people something. And she called it the landlord's game. And she got a patent for it eventually. And it didn't really go anywhere. Somebody gra grabbed onto this idea and they turned it. They turned it into Monopoly. His name was Charles Darrow. He went to Parker Brothers and he sold it for a bunch of money. Then they made millions off of it. And Maggie was left out of this whole thing. Lizzie lost all that money she could have had. But the game turned. That's what I want to illustrate today. Is the game changed. She originally designed it to, corru to correct uh, a problem in society in that time. And like today, there were a lot of land grabbers. There were a lot of people that had a little bit of money and they were buying up the land and they were building things on it and then they were renting space out to other people and breaking their backs. They had become the landlords who, out of greed, just you know, lined their pockets with more and more money and they were doing it with people that couldn't afford what they were paying already. And then they would increase the rent and you know, just the whole thing snowballed. And she admired this uh, political economist uh, who was named Henry George, and she said, you know, I'm going to make a game that will teach people about the evils of this land grabbing and of greed. And so she called it the landlord's game. And it was to teach children and adults what could happen. But when the game went to Monopoly, what did it become? It became all about greed, didn't it? It became all about getting richer. Now I want to be the landlord. Now I want to own the properties. Now I want to get a greater and greater fortune. And you win the game by ending up with the biggest number of properties and the biggest pile of money. And even though it's a game, even though it's play money, what are we doing? What are we teaching? <laughs> what are we endorsing with this game? And I, I cannot imagine how Lizzie Maggie felt about it as she watched this thing happen. And it ended up, if you read this story, back in the 1930s, a question came out about who really owned the patent. And uh, this fight happened, and the real story then came out of what had happened 30 years before. She still didn't get anything out of it. But the story was a little bit correct at that point. Ironically, as the writer of today's article says, today's Monopoly, with its Mr. Monopoly protagonist, celebrates the excesses that Maggie's game decried. Now why are we talking about board games this morning? Because I want us to realize how easily greed takes over our lives. It plays so well into our fleshly, selfish nature. We dream. If you, if you just let yourself go with your flesh, with your, your, your selfish nature, 
We dream about becoming rich and living lavishly. We dream about having lots of money to do whatever we want to do, go wherever we want to go, and buy anything we may want to buy. Our American culture is saturated with materialism. We are being spoon-fed every day the desire for more stuff. And that seems to be the goal. That seems to be the purpose of life. That seems to be you know, the dream. People talk about living the dream. The dream is a lot of money and a lot of possessions and living a lifestyle of somebody who has all of that. It's the game that everyone's playing, seems like. It's the game that everyone's being taught and encouraged to play. But we are fools if we choose to play it. Just let that kind of stick in your heart today. We are fools to play Monopoly. I'm not talking about the board game. Go ahead and play it if you want. I don't care. <laughs> in one of his books, Leo Tolstoy tells a story about a young Russian who inherited his father's small farm. And instantly he's struck with this dream of how he can have more, how he can make it into a bigger farm. He dreams about expanding his property, improving his position. And one morning, according to Tolstoy's story, there's a, a guy, this well-dressed stranger comes up, visits him, makes him an offer. can hardly believe. You know, what an offer. The stranger says, you can have free of charge all the property that you can walk around in one day. No strings. You start at this point, right here on the farm, at your father's grave, and as far as you can walk before sundown today is yours. <laughs> wow. Guy's in good health. He's so anxious to do it, he doesn't even say goodbye to his family, doesn't take any provisions with him. He just says, man, I could just go off and I could, I could walk a bunch, you know. And so he decides, as he looks at these rich fields in the distance, I want some of that, you know, and I want some of this. And so he first off uh, marks out like a six square mile thing, six miles each direction. He says, I could do that in a day. He's about halfway through that, and he thinks, you know, I, I, it's not even close to lunchtime. I could probably go nine square miles. And eventually he keeps on adding more and more to it. And he decides at the end, I'm going to go 15 square miles. Now he's in trouble. Because after he gets to the halfway point, more than half the day is gone. And he doesn't have any water. He doesn't have any food. He's kind of running out of steam, but he's determined he's going to get back to the starting point by the end of the day. By noon, uh, he's at halfway point, but he keeps on going. And he's near the point of exhaustion as the sun begins to set. He has this obsession to own the land. And with only a few minutes left, he gathers all his strength and he makes a sprint for his father's grave. He stumbles across the finish line, so to speak, and collapses on the ground, dead. <laughs> well, the stranger smiles and he says, I offered him all the land he could cover. Now you see what that is, six feet long by two feet wide. I'm glad we started here because I thought he would like to have the land close to his father's grave rather than anywhere else. And having said that, the stranger whose name in the story is Death vanishes and says, I have kept my pledge. Now I want you to think about that story because each of us are going to reach a point in time when we pass from this life to the next. It may be early, it may be late. 
It may be after we've pursued all the goals and dreams we had in life. It may be before, before we even get to achieve any of those. It may be, uh, you know, in, in circumstances that we hope for or circumstances that are different than what we hope for. But all of us are going to reach a point in time where we meet this visitor named death. And maybe you have all kinds of false promises being given to you. May all kinds of dreams that are in your mind of what, what could be, what I could have. And you may strive like this young man to reach the finish line at just at the right moment, you know. Is there more to life than that? Have we missed something here? Would you want to trade places with a man named Cecil Rhodes? Cecil Rhodes is one of the richest guys. He's wealthy beyond description. Through some shrewd but ruthless business dealings, he made a killing on diamond and gold mines in South Africa. He was living proof that you can have it all. You know, he, he could do whatever he wanted to do. He had so much money. But as he reached death, this unbelievably affluent man said, I found much in Africa, diamonds, gold, land, but now I must leave them all behind. Not a thing I've gained can be taken with me. Eternal treasures that abide I have not sought. Therefore, I actually have nothing at all. Listen to a man who had it all, but really didn't have anything. Like the rich fool in Jesus' parable, we will end life bankrupt if we are not rich toward God. Money may enable us to, to buy fancy cars and luxurious homes and, and go on these wonderful trips, but it can't buy the peace that comes through trusting God. So, let's go back and let's review for a moment. The rich fool had two major problems. First of all, he didn't think about anyone but himself. He had this, this, like, blinders on. I'm only thinking about me. I'm only thinking about what I want. This is greed. This is greed fleshed out. This is greed lived out day by day. The second problem is he wasn't thinking about God. He wasn't thinking about eternal life. He wasn't thinking about the future. Because this life we live here is so short. Think about even an 80 or 90 year life in comparison to eternity. That's, that's, a, that's a blip on the radar screen. That's a drop in the bucket. It's nothing. Most of us don't think of ourselves as rich, so we wonder, what does this parable have to do with me? You know, I don't have a bunch of money to lose. I don't have a bunch of wealth. But it has a lot to do with it anyhow, because while we don't have an abundance... We cannot lay back and say, well, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, you know. We're not in that position. We still are wealthy beyond what we need, aren't we? We are more wealthy than most of the people in this world. Think about it. Two cars, a home, or apartment to live in that most people would envy, multiple TVs, cell phones, eating out regularly, entertainment of many kinds, trips and vacations occasionally, so much more, you know, just think, we live a pretty lavish lifestyle. Most people would be very envious of us, even where we are today financially. Our lives are filled up with things. But these are the things that have grabbed our hearts. These are the things that occupy our minds. These are the things that keep us up late, or maybe we wake in the middle of the night and we're worried about it, we're stressed out. And we're, we're trying to figure out how we're going to make this payment. How we're going to you know, handle this new thing that we've done. How am I going to pay that off? 
And then you lose a job or you lose something else and you think, you know, I, I'm, I can't make it. You just throw up your arms. So you see whether we're Warren Buffett or not, that's not the point. The truth is that materialism and greed can occur at any economic level. We can be consumed by the desire for things rather than for God, no matter how much or how little we may have. So I just want you to just take a moment, and I want you to answer two questions. Be brutally honest with yourself and with God. First of all, do we live our lives for God? Who do you live for? Who do you think about when you decide what you're going to do? Do we live for God? Do we live for eternity? Or do we live for today? For this life, this physical life? Second question. Do we live our lives loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves? You know, there's other people in this. Not just your family, not just your spouse, not just your children or your parents, not just your brother or your sister. Jesus is telling a story because two brothers can't get along. You imagine extending that out to the neighbors, to the rest of the people of his city, the rest of the people of his country, the rest of the people of this world. Jesus said, are you living in a way that shows your love for God and shows your love for your neighbor? Because you're supposed to love him as you love yourself. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This, this, is, this is critical. This is... This is uh, life or death. This is a this is a, a game breaker question. You're living according to your soul, according to your physical life. What profit if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul? Jesus said that your soul is more valuable than the whole world, and yet many people sell their souls for what are pretty petty bargains. You know. Wow. The guy that ended his life and he says, I haven't thought anything about eternity. I guess, I guess I'm bankrupt after all. Jesus said in today's parable, something we all need to hear, life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. It's not where life is. Don't let the world tell you that. Don't let America tell you that. Don't let the economy tell you that. Don't let the president tell you that. Don't let anybody tell you that your life is about how much you have. That reminds me of something else Paul said in 1 Timothy 6. I want you to follow along. Uh, well, maybe you won't have it in front of you, but just listen. And listen especially to the last statement. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Here we are. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Here's the phrase I want you to get. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
What is life that is truly life? Loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. Let's learn to take hold of the life that is truly life. Not that the life, the life that this world teaches us. Not the monopoly game. There's an old legend about three men who are crossing a desert on horseback at night. As they approached a dry creek bed, they heard a voice commanding them to dismount, pick up some pebbles, put them in their pockets, and not look at them till the next morning. I thought that's pretty strange, but okay. They were promised that if they obeyed, they would be both glad and sad. After they did as they were told, the three mounted their horses and went on their way. And as the first streaks of dawn began to spread across the sky, the men reached into their pockets to pull out the pebbles. To their great surprise, the pebbles had been transformed into diamonds and rubies and other precious gems. It was then that they realized the significance of the promise that they would be both glad and sad. They were happy that they had picked up as many pebbles as they did, but so sorry, so sorry that they had not picked up more. They didn't know the exchange that was going to happen. And one day when we reach the gate of eternity, we who know Jesus Christ will reach into our pockets to find the eternal worth of knowing Christ and living for Christ. And we will be both glad and sad at that moment as our life is is put up, you know, and God reviews our life. Because we will be glad that we found Christ and that we are there by His grace and that we are in heaven forever because of, of what He has given us when we didn't deserve it. But we will also be saddened by the fact that we did not trust Him more, that we did not live for Him more, that we did not love Him more. And we will be sorry that we put too much of our trust and our hope in the earthly riches that we could not take with us. Why don't we stop and pick up more pebbles now? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be on our hearts today. Help us to be honest, ruthlessly honest, about how we live, what our goals are, what our dreams, what our thoughts and our plans and preparations, where we spend our time and our energy and our money. Uh, Lord, just show us who we are right now. Show us where we have failed. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to see that we've made so many foolish mistakes and we may even be living a foolish game right now. Break us free, Lord. Free us from the traps around us. Free us from the false dreams and goals of this world. Free us from the the idea of success and popularity and, and wealth and good times and whatever else we may be dreaming of having. Help us to realize that the real value of life, of of life itself, is knowing you, loving you, and loving our neighbors ourselves. We ask that, that you would help us to change. That your Holy Spirit would empower us so that we could make changes. If we need to get rid of some debt, if we need to change who we're we're watching and taking care of, if we need to be more compassionate. 
if we need to, to stop a lifestyle where we're chasing after false hopes and dreams, help us to do that today, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.